Welcome to a farther room. I have a lot of reverence for the topic at hand this evening. This is a topic I've wanted to wade into for a little while now and have just been waiting for the right time. I've shared some things I have written with you before, some poems and reflections, but I've wanted to do at least one full episode about the genre as a topic. My guest I have with me today is Mr. Tommy Little. We are both members of Mississippi Poetry Society. I didn't meet him in person until this last summer. We attended a meeting where he received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Society. I heard him read one of his poems at the meeting and really enjoyed it. And something told me that I should strike up a conversation with him if possible. I couldn't really put a finger on it, but he just seemed like somebody I wanted to talk with some and get to know a little bit. And so I did that. And so, Mr. Tommy, I'm thankful to you for being open to talk with me off and on since then and share some of your work with me. And as we've been able to talk, I started thinking that you'd be somebody I'd like to discuss this topic with. So welcome to this, my humble little podcast I have. So just so people can get a little idea of who you are, can you talk a little bit about your background and like where you're from and or just anything you'd like to share about yourself just to start off? Well, uh, I grew up in New Hebron, Mississippi, a small town in Lawrence County and uh, went to school there and uh, then I went uh, to college, several different colleges but, but uh, I, I failed to, you know, finish and get my degree. I went in the army and, and uh, you know, got de- delayed about things. So I didn't. I don't have a degree, so to speak. But I, I have a lot of uh, reading experience and a lot of pretty good bit of writing experience. And uh, I, I've always enjoyed poetry from an early age and didn't realize that uh, I wanted to really seriously write until my mid-30s, and that's when I really got into it from 
reading other poets' writings and things. Uh, I guess one of the main ones was James Whitcomb Riley. I, I read his complete poetical works uh, when I was living in uh, South Carolina. And uh, so that kind of inspired me to write, and I started writing then and pretty much have continued uh, all my life and have a, a pretty large selection of poems that I've written over the years. And so, what was what was the uh, name of the poet from in uh, you started reading in South Carolina? James Whitcomb Riley. He's a Hoosier poet. He was a poet lord of Indiana at one time, back in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. Okay. And you said you were in your 30s, is that correct, when you started kind of developing an interest for it? Is that right? Yes. When I started writing, I I was in my mid-30s, and of course, uh, I had kind of been interested a little bit before that, but when I actually started writing seriously on my own, it was in my mid-30s. Um, who were some of your other favorite uh, poets to read? Well, Robert Frost is one of my favorites. Uh, always enjoyed his poetry. Mm-hmm. And uh, William Wordsworth, I enjoyed his poetry. And Walt Whitman, I read his Leaves of Grass. I, you know, uh, he was one of the first poets I read. And then, uh, let's see. So, oh, uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson, I like some of his work. And, uh, or some more contemporary poets. I like uh, Ted Couser. He's from Nebraska, but he was poor lord of the United States uh, for a couple of years and liked his poetry a lot. And uh, the one that I'm <laughs> having trouble recalling now is kind of a humorous poet. I, uh, I like him. He was poor Lord of the United States for a while. And, uh, from reading, uh, it's, it's not, <laughs> it's not coming to mind, but you no, know, he, he was well known for a while in contemporary courts. You know, I, I find that really good poetry never gets old and it's a gift that keeps on giving. And I'm sure you feel the same way. And when it, when it comes to, yes. when it comes to favorites, there are some of them I never get tired of reading. It's like every time I get something new out of it when I come back to it. And I think I've told you this before, but one of my favorite poets is T.S. Eliot. I remember the first time I ever read one of his poems, it was the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock in my senior AP English class in high school. And... I'm still thankful to Miss Knight, who was my teacher then, for exposing us to that. And to this day, that is probably my favorite poem. Um, I really enjoy John Keats' Ode to a Nightingale. I like Shakespeare's sonnets. Um, Ezra Pound has some good ones. Edgar Allan Poe. There are so many great writers, it's like you were trying to recall one or two of them, and it's like they just don't come to mind immediately because there are so many that have an impact. 
and there are great writers now and ones who lived before. And to think, I've told you this before, I feel like it's worth pointing out on this episode, there don't seem to be a ton of people out there who enjoy reading poetry. And I could be wrong about that. It may be bias on my part, but my sense is that poetry is an underappreciated art form. Do you feel like people who have an appreciation or people who enjoy poetry have certain characteristics? Like, are they a certain type of person or maybe they see the world differently than others? Yes. uh, There's definitely uh, characteristics of people who uh, enjoy poetry. Uh, They're thinkers. They're reflective people. Uh, People who just don't skim the surface of things uh, in a, uh, I guess, worldly way, just interested in the superficial things uh, of life. Uh, those people who like, enjoy poetry, uh, they are uh, people of usually deep thought. They're reflective, like I said. They they can be moody, I guess. Uh, you know, <laughs> have the depressive times and mm-hmm. things like that and mm-hmm. uh, going through sad times. But, you know, their nature is basically they they are focused on the real things of life that make a difference. That's one thing I, I've noticed. Uh, those people see the reality of things rather than the the superficiality of things. They see the depth and the reality of it, mm-hmm. and that makes good good poets and good readers of poetry. I agree 100%. I I think a common denominator is not just an inquisitive mind, kind of like you said, but I feel like the tendency to feel things very deeply. It's almost a meta feeling you have that's beyond just what's obvious in the moment. And That kind of segues into my next question, which is if people feel certain things when they read or write poetry, what is it that you feel makes a good poem in the first place? Like what are some things you look for when you're reading? Well, uh, of course, a good poem uh, for the reader and the writer, uh, there's no, usually no question about it. Uh, they see it right off, you know, right away that, uh, it is a good poem. It is a, a thoughtful, uh, you know, well thought out, well written poem. And it's usually very obvious, uh, from the start. And what makes a good poem. And, uh, of course, the writer himself wants to make every effort to make it a good poem that not only he enjoys, but the readers will enjoy, you know, and, and appreciate. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that make a good poem, but I, I would say this. 
you have to get the salt. Mm-hmm. That's the for, foremost. You have to get the salt down on paper that you'd want to present. And when you do that, you're on your way to write a good poem and whatever methods or techniques you decide to use, you get the salt down that inspired you to write it, then you're on your way, well on your way to, to writing a good poem. I have, I've used this term with you before, but I keep coming back to it because I feel like it does a good job of describing my thoughts. Poetry to me is almost a language of its own. It's, it's a higher form of language that you almost have to learn. And it's beyond what you would just say if you're sitting, you know, shooting the breeze with somebody or even vernacular that you tend to use when going about everyday life. To me, the words are, I guess you could say, pregnant with meaning. And they carry with them the weight of all the thoughts that were put into them in the first place. And some poems I feel like need to read, I need to read three or four times to truly grasp what the person was getting at. And sometimes it's hard especially as a writer, to feel like you're properly going to capture it on the page. You know, you you said get that idea down on paper, but sometimes I feel like that's really intimidating. Do, do you feel that way sometimes? Uh, intimidating to get it down on paper? Yeah. What you're saying, uh, well, not, not so much for me. I it's intimidating if I can't get it down on paper. Mm-hmm. That's, that's when it's the most intimidating. But uh, like I said, once I get a a good thought, uh, a good idea that it's, that moves me, and I can get it started on paper, it kind of most of it begins to fall in place uh, pretty soon without a lot a lot of effort. But of course, you know you have to write and rewrite it to get, you know, in a good presentable form and uh, cut out the dead wood and add, add words that would add depth of meaning in poems, whatever. And, you know, it's good to have a good thesaurus at hand, let me say that, because uh, you might think of a word that you could put in it, but there could be a better word you could use. Mm-hmm. So, using a thesaurus is important in, in uh, writing good poem too. And uh, like I said, there's I can't say that style matters a whole lot in good poetry. There's all kinds of styles of good poetry, but you know, like I said, it's it's getting that, that poet's thought in a well-presented way, well-understandable way uh, that moves people. Mm-hmm. That's that's what makes a good poem and getting mm-hmm. it down like that. So you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but just on average, you know, what what's your standard approach to writing? Do you always start it out on paper? Like, do you write it or do you ever type it to start out? 
always start out writing with a pen or a pencil, but mostly a pen on a sheet of paper. And uh, that's the way I always start my poems. And uh, because I can add or scratch out words, whatever I need as I, as I continue to write, as the thought is flowing in my mind, uh, of course, words are flowing too, and I want to choose the right words that would make it a good poem uh, and a very uh, approachable poem for the average reader. Uh, you don't want it to be so highly intellectual that uh, somebody who may love poetry but not have an extreme, extremely good vocabulary that they would see words that would maybe confuse them or they wouldn't quite understand. Uh, you, you want to use good language. It doesn't have to necessarily have to be very long, complicated words or anything like that. It, just words that enhance the poem mm-hmm. uh, to make it strong. And, uh, you know, the better your vocabulary, the better chance you have of doing that. And like I said, using the thesaurus is very helpful, too. Uh, but I guess that's what you, you, you're trying to get at when you ask that question, what is uh, the process Mm-hmm. Uh, you start with the idea, and then you get it down on a sheet of paper that you that I write with a pen, and uh, I start writing down. Um, I'm trying to get the thought down, not lose anything that came to my mind that it was important, and and I'm not I'm not polishing the poem. From the beginning, I'm not polishing it to, to refine it or anything like that. I'm getting it the rough draft down. I'm getting the the thought and the words that would be good to to use. However, I want to arrange them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to to get the words down so I won't lose them. Uh, I forget while I'm writing. So that's that's kind of the process. I, I start out with, and then after I get the rough draft done, then I go back and read over it and start the process of refining it and taking out unnecessary words and adding more uh, you know, accurate words that I would like to use and uh, more powerful words, I guess, things like that. So it's just a, a process of writing and then rewriting and rewriting and each time you rewrite your your draft gets less scratched <laughs> scratched mm-hmm. out. In yeah. other words, you have more of a clean page the more you go uh, to you get it like you want it. Uh, so once you get it like you want it, you have a clean, neat, well-written page. <laughs> That's that's the way I go about it. And then I type it up. And then I type it up. Okay. See, I, I think that's a really good approach to, at first, you're not necessarily wanting it to be a finished product. You're just wanting to get ideas down. And right. sometimes I fall into the trap of 
I want it to be finished the first time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's unrealistic. <laughs> I try to polish it before I even put it down. And right. you can run into... Uh, you can you can get into quicksand pretty quickly with that because you can you'll find that you don't right. uh, you're not very productive and it's because you're trying to do everything all in one right. take. <laughs> right. You're not getting it. You're not getting the poem organized uh, on the paper in the way that would be most effective. You're just getting line by line thoughts that may not be uh, coherent for mm-hmm. the whole poem. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, that's that's a you know can be a problem. Do you do you ever struggle with inertia or stagnation in your writing, where you just go through periods where you're you don't feel the inspiration to really write very much? Uh, well, let me let me say this. Yes, I do <laughs> have periods of uh, inertia. I don't know if the right word or not, but uh, maybe a little dry spells you have mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I do have those. And uh, uh, there's many things, I guess, that can cause it. And what you do about it varies from person to person. But uh, I, I can't, for myself, I can't force myself to write something when I'm Kind of in a dry period, I, I just can't force it. Mm-hmm. I have to have some something to go on, something in mind to go on. I just can't sit down to a blank piece of paper with no thought in mind and try to write a poem. I just can't mm-hmm. do that. But uh, yeah, it, different people you know struggle with that, and I've heard many poets say the same thing. Have you have you ever written any poems that you didn't like? Oh, oh yes, I've I've written many poems I didn't like, and uh, <laughs> the one the ones that I didn't like, you can rest assured that I didn't put in my portfolio or my collection of poems. <laughs> uh, they wound up in the trash can, but. Uh, yeah, I've, I've written poems I didn't like. I also written poems that I didn't think other people would like, mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. and and some that were didn't put enough thought into it or have a good thought to start with. Uh, you know, uh, so, sometimes I might like got a little uh, casual about what I was trying to write and made it kind of a mediocre. It made it kind of a mediocre poem. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, I usually realize it before I get too far into it. And uh, if I can't correct it early on, when I see that it's going that way, I usually throw it away. Uh, <laughs> but sometimes you can correct it before it gets too far and make a, a good poem out of it. Well, um, so let's say you meet somebody who is just getting into poetry or wants to start and they want to start writing also. And they want to ask somebody who's like yourself, who's written a lot and read a lot in the past. If you have any advice for them 
on getting started and if you have any, I guess, just general tips for things that you can do to help the process? Well, uh, for people who would like to start writing, I would say if they if they have a serious interest in doing that, that's very important that they don't approach it or start as kind of a uh, uh, do do it or not do it situation where you know it doesn't matter one way or the other. They're just doing it for the heck of it. You know, it's like you have to have a pretty serious interest in writing it if you want to start writing poetry, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't write not-so-good poetry, it doesn't, if that doesn't matter to you, <laughs> whether you write good poetry or not, well, you know, I would say you might approach it more casually, but you won't have good poems. Uh, most assuredly, you won't. you got to have a desire to, to write good poems and a desire to read good poetry of other poets. It takes both of that, I think, to write good poems and to get started. Certainly, reading other uh, good poets is very important to get to get you uh, in the right mindset to write your own thoughts and uh, get them down. Uh, it, uh, you see their, their methods, their techniques, and, uh, you know, things like that, they, you know, and of course, you see the depth of their poetry, the depth of the quality of it. And, uh, you know, you want to write quality poetry if you can. And certainly, I would think everybody that, that would like to write would want to do that. So, uh, you know, I would say definitely start reading good poets and then, uh, Try to take time to start writing down your own thoughts, your own ideas, and and putting together good uh, your own voice, so to speak. Your style will gradually develop over the period of time. Mm. You'll develop your own voice that it's not quite like all the other poets. You know, some of it may be similar, but it's you know your own voice will come through eventually. Anyway, there's a couple, of, you know, a few things that I would say uh, I would suggest to poets that are interested in writing good poetry. And uh, uh, one of them is uh, don't tell, don't reveal the whole poem in the title. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people write a title that basically tells the whole poem. Uh, that's that's not good. The reader has to go through the poem, and when he gets through the poem, the title is uh, fitting. Uh, you know, it 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 goes along with what's written, but you don't want to you know, write reveal the whole thought or the whole poem in the title, mm-hmm. and you don't want to even in the first line of the poem, start out with something that's going to real, reveal the whole poem in that line. And uh, another tip or two would be use good imagery, good uh, fresh imagery, 
and, and uh, metaphor and make make it as original as you can. You know that it's your own fault and not somebody else's or and things like that. Uh, sometimes it's hard to do, but but uh, you know, good imagery makes a good poem mm-hmm. and a metaphor. And uh, then the uh, the last thing I would say in technique would be don't start the first line of a poem with the average person would think would be the way you would start out that poem. In other words, <clears throat> I have an example here in the poem Hilda that I wrote. And uh, Hilda was... Uh, the artist Andrew Wiles model for about 15 years. He he wrote he painted a lot of pictures of her that are, are pretty uh, well known now. She was uh, basically most of the modeling was done nude. But anyway, uh, somehow or another that that uh, exhibit uh, Helga, which I saw in New Orleans, uh, struck me. And uh, I guess it inspired a, a poem. And uh, the way it started out, of course, the title is Helga. I started the first line with, it could have been the braids that intrigued him. Two woven cords of red, dry brushed in the texture of a Pennsylvania autumn. Each hair distinct and crisp as the canopy of October maples in Chance Ford. That's the first uh, few lines there. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, in other words, you want to, one of the techniques, you can't do it all the time, is to start the poem as if there were something written before it, as if there was mm-hmm. a conversation that you're just getting in on when you start reading the poem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that adds interest because then the, the reader can catch up as he reads the poem and fill in the <laughs> what uh, might be considered the, the preliminary lines that could have been written mm-hmm. uh, in a poem. He kind of mentally fills it in as he reads, and it gives him a sense of uh, uh, fulfillment or satisfaction to have been able to pick up on where it's coming from and you know it's like he becomes part of the poet <laughs> himself because he's feeling it in mentally what was he thought might have been said before mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying yeah so uh so anyway that adds interest to a poem to do that it does and and you kind of you kind of guide him through it that way Right, mm-hmm, right. You know, they, they jump in and they say, wow, I wonder where he's going with this. You know, like, I got to read on to see what's <laughs> going on here. And then as he reads, he realizes what's going on. And he also realizes, you know, the thought before the first line of the poem. You know, he, he can, uh, as if he's getting in on a conversation kind of uh, midway through it or something, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, so, um, that's, that's one thing that I have developed over the years is that just came to me, 
kind of naturally to do that. I, I can't say I learned it anywhere. And just something that when I started doing it, it made for good poems mm-hmm. at times and things like that. I, I brought up a quote to you recently. It's one I saw several months back, and it's stuck with me. It relates well to this topic, in my opinion. It's from Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. And the quote is this, Pain and suffering are always inevitable for a large intelligence and a deep heart. The great men must, I think, have great sadness on earth. What do you think of that quote? What's your take on that? Well, I think it's a very poignant quote. Uh, you know, it's very true. Uh, pain and suffering are inevitable for a large intelligence and a deep heart. You know, you know people go through pain and suffering all the time. Some people uh, don't let it go to the depths of their being uh, and they just slough it off and try to carry on and make the best of whatever the situation is. But if it gets down deep in their soul, in their heart, then it can come out in great writing. Mm -hmm. It can come out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it has to get down there. You can't just, like I said, people slough it off if they get some have pain and suffering, whatever that comes along, you know, you, you just have to take it to heart, whatever it is, and and let it be something positive uh, as far as yeah. your writing. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, some, you know, some people, when hearing that quote, will naturally feel like it's conceited or prideful. Because it talks about, you know, the um, large intelligence and deep heart and great men and all that. And I I do understand that. And it can come off that way. However, I don't, I don't really look at it that way. Um, I just feel like it touches on some themes of somebody who is a good writer. And going, going along with what you said... I do feel like people who write good poetry are intelligent, uh, very, very rational. And I do often find that they sometimes struggle with deep emotions and internal conflict. Sometimes when I am writing, I feel a profound sense of sadness. And I don't under mm-hmm. I don't always understand like have a full understanding of why it may be that I feel I can't adequately address what I'm wanting to convey. Sometimes words fall short. It may be that right. the the weight of the world's problems are felt in those moments and are a burden that takes a toll. And it it may be that just the human side of you is being exposed and kind of poured out on the page. And 
the type of sadness, and I know this may sound strange, but let's face it, a lot of the people who like to read and write poetry are a little different, <laughs> including, including myself. The sadness that's felt is almost welcome. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a positive emotion, but it's not one you want to do without. It's almost, right. it's almost a lighthouse. Right. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying, JP. Uh, you know, that's one reason that sometimes I write a lot of uh, sad or, uh, I guess, uh, maybe a lot of people call some of my poems depressing. Uh, well, what it is, is I'm writing, it's a release of what's inside of me. It's mm-hmm. a release of it. Yeah. And uh, it, you know, it, it doesn't make me sad to write it. It makes me feel better to write it because I've gotten it out and I've gotten it presented in a way that I wanted it presented, if it's in a poem or whatever. You know, I just, you know, just like music. Sad songs, uh, like you hear country music sometimes, you know, it, it can be very sad songs. What I've heard people say, uh, uh, where they're crying in their beer type song. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's getting out what's inside of you. And when other people hear it, they can relate to that, and then it helps them get it out of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it, it's kind of a, you know, chain reaction, so to speak. It, it uh, helps people get their feelings out to hear your feelings, if it's real, you know, if it's true, mm-hmm. true feelings. Yeah, and you feel you feel really kind of at in touch or at one with your inner self when you, right. when you feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I did ask you if you wouldn't mind sharing a poem of yours, um, yes. for, as part of uh, the before, episode. Right. Wouldn't mind at all. Uh, I brought, got one here that is one of my favorites. It's one that one, uh, the overall uh, spring contest of not 2019, I think it was. And it's called Lines. Okay. The, the worst are the long ones you stand in, the ones that never seem to move, where age overtakes your forward progress, itching deep tributaries in your brow. There are the lines you fall for when weak and gullible, when love is you blinded to the one who would take advantage of innocence. But the best are those formed by horizons at sunrise and sunset, the vertical lines of tall pines and majestic redwoods that have escaped the axe and saw, and the outlines of mountain peaks catching mid-October rays or ripples line dancing across the lake 
in the cool of a late summer evening. The center line of that familiar highway leads you home from a long absence, snaking past furrowed fields that align fence post promises of harvest hope. And the old folks' faces lined with worry for your safety and well-being through the storm that left you stranded on the road from Louisiana. And those unforgettable lines of poetry that you feed on when hungry for truth. And life has become a desert, parched with lies and deceit. And finally, those pithy lines you cornered on an old scrap of paper you wouldn't trade for gold. An irreducible treasure, your authentic measure penciled on the doorframe of your mind.